Lord, we just ask you to bless this message, bless this time as we look at your word, and thank you for the time of worshiping you in song. As now as we worship you in the word, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. We're still on the message from the plain, which is very much like the message on the mount, <laughs> um, which tells us that this is either the same one with a different location kind of given to us, or uh, Jesus gave this message over and over again, which is what I believe. So, starting at verse 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smites you, on one cheek offer the other. And him that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take, but to take also your coat. Give to every man that asks of you, and of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men would do unto you, so you do unto them likewise. For if you love those that love you, what, what thanks have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them with whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, and lend, hoping for nothing again. For, and your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the thank, unthankful and to the evil. But be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. And... I wrote over, sir. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will, shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give to your, into your bosom. For that which same measure that you meet with, it shall be measured to you again. We look at this, and it's kind of an interesting statement, because here we see God telling us to do something that we all know is extremely easy to do. No, not easy to do at all in the flesh. He's telling us to be living spiritual, and he points back to himself as the one to be like. And this is kind of an interesting point, because Jesus had a different picture of God than the Jewish people did at that time, and as most Christians even in our day have. I meet so many people that they, their picture of God is this great big being in the sky waiting to pound them over the head and you know, and take them out to the woodshed every time they do anything wrong. That is not the picture that Jesus presents of God. Now, God does have his righteousness, and he does bring judgment, but his main character is that he loves. And this is what Jesus says on this. He says, um, love your enemies, do good to those that curse you. Bless them to curse you and pray for them which despitefully. Now, I know that for all of us, this is our first instinct. When somebody's being mean to us, we feel, yes, I'm going to go love this person. You know, and I say that tongue in cheek because I know I'm just like everybody else. That's not the first thing that pops into my head. Now, I'm getting better as I'm getting older and following God, but I'm still not there yet. You know, and, but Jesus says that we're to love those that are, and he uses the word despitefully, you know, use us. And this is literally to call down 
you know, pain and suffering. You know, is this the way that we want to treat people? This is kind of an interesting thing, you know, that our first instinct when somebody is abusive to us is, I'm going to get you. You know, I may not be strong enough to get you right now, but I'm going to get you somehow. Or if you're really strong, I'm going to get you now. <laughs> You know, there are people that are strong enough, they're, they're always right there, I'm going to get you now. But you know, God says we are to love. We are to show love to people. Which is kind of an interesting thing because we're accused of being, having to lay down and be doormats. And God isn't really saying we're going to be doormats, but you know, at the same time, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. If we learn to love others and be kind to those that are being mean to us, we put it in God's hands to take care of them. And I can tell you one thing, God may seem slow to us in judging people, but I have watched people's lives be destroyed by God bringing them under persecution for their mistreating of his children. God is just like any parent, you mistreat his children and he's going to get upset. You know, people talk about mama bears, you know, it's a, you, know you, you, hurt, you hurt the mom's children and you are in trouble. Well, God makes a great mama bear, but he does have mercy at the same time. And I've seen this happen in people's lives who have attacked God's children, have attacked a pastor, attacked different people, and watched God bring judgment. And the sad thing is when this judgment comes, it usually does not just affect the person who is guilty, It'll affect their family. Because even if you take that person and they lose their job, you've affected their family. If you take their health, you've affected their family. So that, you know, this is the sad thing. When we fall under the judgment of God, it's not just us that gets penalized. Others will be penalized because of our disobedience and the judgment that falls on. But our job is to love. Our job is to be kind. Jesus said, if they strike you on the cheek, turn the other one. Now, there's lots of jokes out there. I ran out of cheek, you know, and if I turned the other one, what do I do? Because I ran out of cheeks, you know, but that's not what God is teaching. He's trying to teach, let him be the, be the judge. Let him be the one to fix our problems. Uh, and this is very interesting for us because of all of this that's going on, and it is hard for us. We cannot do it in our own strength. It doesn't matter, I don't care how nice you are, when you feel abused, you start trying to figure out how, how can this person get paid back. Even if you don't think it's going to be you, you might pray for God to start paying them back. You know, um, and that's not even what God wants us. I have learned the hard way to let God be the defender. I'm not perfect at it yet, but it's much better because every time I try to defend myself, I make a mess, make a bigger mess out of things that are going on. Uh, you know, have you ever tried to give revenge on yourself? Don't raise your hands because I know everybody has. <laughs> you know, uh, how many times did you get caught in your own trap that you tried to set for somebody or the wrong person got, got involved in it? An innocent person got involved and now they're upset and they want to get you back because you, you were trying to get back at somebody else and now things start snowballing into this problem. It's much easier just to sit back and say, God, it's in your hands. I trust you. And the question is, do we trust God? All of this comes down to, if I'm going to learn to love somebody and not seek revenge, is it, do I trust God? 
And that is a hard statement because all of us, if we were to just sit down on a, any, any given day and say, do you trust God? You're going to say, oh, yes, we're, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I trust God. I, I trust him with all of my, my heart. And then you walk right out of that meeting where you just said you trust God and somebody gets mad at, you know, does something that makes you mad and it's no longer that I trust God to take care of me. I'm going to take care of it myself. And this is something that's very important for us. We all face these problems where God says something to us and says, now do you believe what I said? This is the hard thing. The more we learn about God, the more we are accountable to, to obey. And God will keep testing us. Do you obey? He told us to love those that despitefully use you. You know what's probably going to happen this week after this message? You're going to find somebody this week that is going to be hard to love. Who's going to test you. Who's going to try you. And God's going to be saying, well, you heard the message. Or you said you believed it while you were listening to the message. Now are you ready to live it? And this is the important thing for us is we take these messages, we take the word of God, the next step. It's one thing just to hear a bunch of good messages, and I hear lots of them myself. Every week I'm listening on the radio, I'm listening, listening online, I listen to lots of messages. It's one thing just to hear, but it's another thing to say, now I'm going to live what I just heard. And this is very interesting. He then says, uh, he starts talking about giving. He goes, don't just give to those who can give back to you. He goes, sinners do that. You know, here, I got this, you know, I expect it back next week. I expect it on payday. I expect it back whatever. You know, it is, that's, our, that's our expectation. We give. You know, I've shared with many of you, my expectation is if I can't afford to lose it, I don't give it. If I can, if I can afford to lose it and God says give it, I don't expect it back. If I get it back, great. If I don't, I wasn't expecting it back in the first place. Now, it's kind of funny because I've been doing church benevolence things for many years, and you always hear people, well, as soon as I, you know, next week, I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. The percentage of people who ever paid it back was, was very low, but, you know, we also would tell them we're not a bank. We're not expecting it back. We're serving you. We're not expecting that. We're not loaning it to you. And this is something that's very important. What is your attitude when you give somebody something? You know, even when we go to things like birthday and Christmas parties or housewarming parties, what is the general thing? Okay, uh, I was involved at their party. I've got I've to make sure I invite them back sometime. Jesus talks about that as well. He says, don't invite people that you're expecting are going to be able to re repay you. This is very important for us. What is our attitude toward others? Are we giving as unto the Lord? You know, one of the things that's very important is you can't outgive God. Now, I've, at various times in my life, I've tried to outgive God, and, you know, and He always makes sure we get get it back. Maybe not exactly the same we ha we we have it, but I have my family and I have never gone without. Now, as you can see, I'm plenty big enough. I I don't ever run out of food. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've not we've not had our utilities cut off for you know lack of payment. We've always had vehicles. Everything is right there. Maybe not the best of the best of everything, but we have always had plenty. And we've honored God with the fruits. Fruits. We've honored God by giving, helping other people. We do what we can to help out, and God blesses. And this is what He tells us here. He goes, "Are you giving with the right heart attitude?" 
He even goes so far as says if somebody takes something from you, don't be demanding it back. Now that one's hard. <laughs> that one is really hard. I don't do very well on that one. All right. Uh, I, I will be right on the phone and call the police and say, please take care of them. Now, I don't go out for vigilante justice, but I go, okay, the government is going to do their job and take care of them. And then I leave it, leave it at that point. I'm not out there seeking the person or trying to find them. So I do half of it. <laughs> but, you know, this is very important. These are not what Jesus is telling us to do. All right? We're not going to be able to live these things. They are a paradox to us. Because he's saying, on one half, he says, you have the right to own things, but if somebody takes it, it's in God's hands. That's hard. That is hard for us to, to comprehend. Then he says, give to every man that asks, and, and, and of him that takes away, do not ask. He says, that you should do likewise, be not like them. He says, love them which, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? <laughs> He's saying, if you just act like the world, then there's nothing special about it. Now, it's quite interesting that we as Christians have a very low view of how we're supposed to act to the, in this world. Because we will say things, I'm, for, I'm, for, I'm uh, forgiven, not perfect. You know, God will, God will forgive me if I do something wrong. And you know what? That is a true statement. But how many people use it as a crutch for doing lots of wrong stuff? Well, I'm just going to go out and sin because God can forgive me. Oh, well, yeah, he will forgive. What's the world look at us? You're supposed to be perfect. Have you ever had anybody tell you that, you know, what kind of Christian are you acting like that? You know, how can you call yourself a Christian when you just did that? Now, the world has too high opinion of us because we can't live up to the standard that the world has for us. The world will say Those, that church is filled with a whole bunch of hypocrites. Well, I would say the church is filled with a whole bunch of sinners, forgiven sinners. But this does not mean that we're to go out and just sin because God's going to forgive us. God, Paul dealt with that. He says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, abound. And then he says, shall we go out and sin that grace will abound? And he said, God forbid. I know many Christians that say, well, I'm, God's going to forgive me. I'm going to be under grace, so I can just go do whatever I want. Jesus is in my heart. I can go live like the world and do all the things that I've did in the past, and it's not going to bother anybody. That is not what God says. If you can live that lifestyle, there's a problem with your lifestyle with God. We need to be trying our best to follow God because he's inside us. He's made us a new creation. He has freed us from the power and bondage of sin so that we can live victoriously. That's our choice. Now, we don't do a very good job at choosing the right way most of the time because we're, our sin is there. But I'll tell you, do you want to, the secret to living victorious Christian life is to be seeking a relationship with God every moment of your day. Start your morning with God. You know, in the middle of the day, start, you know, go to God. At the end of your day, go to God. Spend your time with God. Get in his word. Listen to his voice. Ask for his advice. You know, 
Don't trust your own ways. They will lead you astray. Even if you've been a Christian for 300 years, you would still be led astray by your own instincts. Because our instincts are sinful. If I trust in my own ways, I will go astray. If I'm turning to God in his ways, I will be victorious. Because God is never going to lead us astray. Now that does not mean that everything is going to be smooth and easy selling. Now, we watched the movie The Hiding Place on Friday night, and the Ten Boone family served God. They, they were honoring God, helping the Jews. And what did they end up? They ended up being beat and thrown into prison, concentration camp, and died, all, all of them except one, died in concentration camp. You know, and you would think, well, what was so good about that? Well... If you read her book especially, you find all the people who turn their life over to God because of their faithfulness in a very bad situation. Sometimes our faithfulness, when everything seems to be going wrong, will lead the world to say, I want what they, I want what they have. I, they, I don't know what they have, but they seem to be at peace when everything's falling apart. They have strength, they have joy, and eventually they will come to say, I want which you want, or totally reject God. But either way, they're accountable before God, not us. So we look at this whole process, and he says, don't be like the world, because that is just being the world. God is calling us to be like him. Now, we will never be God. Don't get me wrong. We'll never be God. We will not be perfect until we die or, or are raptured and, we, and we're glorified, then we will be like him in our perfection. But on this world, we are to be sanctified. We're to be more like him as he indwells us and changes us. And this is the beauty of getting to know God as we go in. Verse 36 says, Be therefore merciful unto, as your Father is merciful, and judge not that you be not judged or condemned, and that you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. His example is God. All right? Be merciful as God is merciful. Now, this is kind of interesting because all of us tend to want grace and mercy for ourselves. How many of us want grace and mercy for others? Especially if they've done something against me or you. Now, we're not saying, God, give them grace and mercy. We want grace and mercy if we hurt people. But usually if we're hurt, we're saying, God, no grace and mercy for them. Go get them. And God is saying, be like he is. God is long-suffering. Now for us in our very short time period, we kind of go, God, uh, you're waiting an awful long time. Jesus told the disciples as he, as he was being lifted off of the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, off of Mount Olivet uh, after the resurrection, uh, the angel said he's coming back soon. Well, from God's perspective, he's still coming back soon. From our perspective, we're looking, God, it's been 2,000 years. Uh, uh, what, what is this soon business? Remember, God has a longer time span than we do. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and has no beginning and no end. 
When he says something is going to happen, he's going to make sure it happens. When he judged Manasseh, the last king of the southern kingdom, it wasn't until eight kings later that the nation went into captivity. Because God was being patient and long-suffering. But even when he got near, he says, this judgment is because of Manasseh's sins. And nobody ever repented. And you read all these kings. We had one king in that whole group, Josiah, who was a good king, but he could, did not get the nation to repent. As soon as he died, they were immediately back into idol worship and, and going against God. The hearts of the people did not repent, and God said, that's it. You're done. And then four kings later, they're, they're gone. They're no longer a nation. God is long-suffering. And we look at it and say, God, why, why, why are they being blessed? God, why does that mean, awful person have five cars in their garage and the best house in town, and they've got servants, and everything looks like it's going good for you? And God, what, what kind of judge, justice is in that? And God is saying, just wait. Just wait. And you find out that they weren't happy in the first place because they were always worried somebody was going to take what they had. They were worried that you know, they were going to be arrested at any moment. They did not have peace. They did not have joy. And God was trying to get their heart. You know, don't ever think that when you look at somebody that seems to be blessed that, they, that they're being blessed. Because they may not have any peace in their life even though they look like they're being blessed. How many times do we read in the papers that some superstar singer or athlete commits suicide? Or is checking in for a drug abuse or alcohol abuse programs because they're just not happy with what they have. We look at them and say, God, if I just had everything they did, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't be. If you're not happy and content with what God gives you now, you will not be happy and content with, no, with whatever God gives. That's why Paul said, I've learned to be content with much and with little. Because his contentment was in God. And this is very important for us. If we cannot be content with what God gives us, we won't be content with all the covetous things that we think we want. And all those things we think we want are coveting something that we don't have, which is a, the 10th commandment, which is the one that everybody violates and nobody ever wants to think about. Thou shalt not covet. You shall not want what is not yours. <laughs> oh, how easy it is to want stuff that's not ours. Uh, you know, God threw that in as the catch-all. You think you've kept all these other commandments and you haven't. Let's throw one in there that we guarantee that you're going to have problems with. All of us have problems with that, ca that category. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And we always want something we don't have when we're not fully trusting in God and being content in God. And this is very important. This word that he says, judge not. Now, this word for judge means that we are not to... Um, where did I write my note? <laughs> We're not to approve or disapprove of some, something or someone. Now, this is hard for us as human beings. We look at people that are different from us, and what's the first thing we do? We judge whether they're better or not better. Usually, it's not better. 
And if we judge them being better than us, then we're going to try to be like them for whatever reason. And God created us to be us. We need to learn to take God at his word, at who we are. Now, if we need to be changed, God will change us. But you know what? I don't need to be more outgoing. I don't need to be less outgoing. I don't need to be stronger. I don't need to be weaker. I don't need to be more handsome or uglier. Maybe I need to be uglier. I don't know. <laughs> you know uh, but, you know, we can't be judging ourselves by other standards. We have so many people that are judging themselves by the fashion pictures that they see, saying, well, I don't look anything like this model. There's something wrong with me. My hair's not right. My beard's not right. My, my clothes aren't right. I'm too fat, too skinny. And we have a whole bunch of people that are sitting there judging themselves by others' standards. And we need to be very careful with that. We need to be careful to not be judging others. Does that mean God doesn't have rules? No, God has all kinds of rules for us to live by, but our job is not to condemn somebody. Our job is very simple. This is what God says. We love you. And I've said it over and over. I want anybody in this church. I really don't care what they're doing in life and what they're doing in their sin. And I want them in this church where they can hear God's word. Does that mean I'm not going to speak out against their sin? Nope. I'm going to say when we hit that and it comes out that they're in a sin, we're going to say that's sin. And deal with that sin, but I'm not going to be condemning. Now the Holy Spirit might convict and condemn them. But that's his job. To bring them into the knowledge of their sins so they will come to Christ. But we're not going to kick anybody out of this church just because they have sin in their life. Because we'd have an empty church. Because there's not a one of us in this room, including your pastor, that could, could follow that standard of no sin. So if we're going to start kicking people out for sin, then we're no, nobody would be in this building. We'd all be outside. We'd have to have the church of the outside the building instead of the inside the building. Now, but we need to be looking at this. What do we judge when we judge people? We usually look and say, well, I don't do this problem, so I'm going to look and judge all the people who have that problem. How often do we judge somebody for what we do wrong? Not often, because that makes us feel bad, because if I'm going to judge them, I'm going to feel really bad. It's going to be, well, I don't commit this sin, and you do, so you're terrible. What are we doing when we judge people? We're trying to make ourselves look good. I'm better than them because I don't do whatever my list of things is that I don't do. I'm trying to sit in pride. We want to be careful of that. God says he is the judge. He is the only one that can judge. And we want to be very careful of this. And then I love this one. Give and it shall be given unto you. Now we, we could stop there. That is a great gift right in and of itself. Give, and it shall be given back to you by God. But then he says, press down and shaken together and overflowing. Now, if you don't have this picture, let's say that you are at the store, and they are not weighing the item that you're buying. They're saying, whatever you can get into this box or bag or bushel, you get to have for one price. What do you see people doing in that case? They're pushing it down. They're shaking it down to get it all in there, and they want it up to the top. This is the picture that God's saying. 
when he gives back to us, he is not saying, how little can I put in this? How much can I fluff up the, that basket up so that it doesn't, doesn't fill it? You know, one of the things I was taught in the restaurants when you made a sandwich is you folded the meat and made them nice and big. You didn't press the meat down and you, you folded it all up. It looked like a wonderful sandwich because you put all this air between all the slices of meat and it looked beautiful. Wasn't a whole lot of meat in it. And God is saying, no, that's not what I want. I want it pressed down. I want it. I want all the air out of it. I want, I want to shake it up. I want to get as much into that as I possibly can. And that's the blessings he wants to give us. We have to quit seeing God as an angry, miserly being. Too many of us have that opinion of God. He's just waiting up there to give me, to hammer me over the head. He doesn't want to give me anything. He is mean and, you know, why do I want to be around him? That is not God. That God would not have sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. He would have said they're going to get what they deserve. I'm not giving him my son's life. But he sent Jesus to die for us. And then he sees us blessings that we don't deserve, that we can't even comprehend. Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he's not sitting out there and saying, well, okay, I'm going to give you three drops of water to, to cool your tongue. He says, here's a gallon of water, and if that's not enough, I'm going to turn the hose on you as well. Get all the water that you want. Get all the blessings that you want. How many of us limit God's blessings? Now, I'm not saying that he's a great big vending machine in the sky, you know, just say you want it. But he does when he's going to give us. He's not looking to give us as little as possible. He wants to make sure the word that is used so often in the scriptures is that we are satiated, which means filled to the max. If you're satiated, you're looking at that dinner plate saying, I can't eat another bite. It's not that I'm, you know, being, being full is one thing, you know. Maybe you've been, hopefully it's because we live in America, you've had that times of being satiated. I can't eat another bite. If they even, you know, if they made me, you know, say I had to die or eat a bite, I'm going to die. All right. That's what he's talking about when he says he fills. He fills to overflowing. He gives us peace that passes understanding to overflowing. He gives us love for one another that should overflow. He gives us a joy that is overflowing. Seek God for that overflowing benefit. And it's hard because what comes along with all of that is the test from Satan to say, uh, well, it's just a consequence. You know, you just wait till something bad happens. What was God's accusa uh, Satan's accusation to God about Job? If you take away his blessings, he's not going to like you. He only likes you because of what you're doing. When that didn't work, well, you know, if he was unhealthy, he would curse you. He kept taking away the blessings that Job had, and Job was, kept saying, I'm going to honor God. Now, he did very good until his, quote-unquote, friends kept hammering at him for a couple of weeks and saying that, you know, he must have been a really bad guy. And he handled the events, but the friends that weren't being nice to him really were careful. So what I, what I say on that is be careful of your friends. Be careful of your family. Are they building you up and edifying or are they tearing you down? It doesn't take long for people to tear you down to get to you. 
It really does. It happens. It does happen. If people keep hammering on you, there will come that time when you will respond. We need fellow believers, and our job as believers is to edify, build one another up, not tear down and criticize. Our job is to say, you know, this is a place of safety. We love you. Now, sometimes that edification may come as hard, but, you know, if you, you can speak it in love. You know, when you tell somebody, I see something that bothers me, make sure it's out of love. And I've said this many times. If you're not praying for them, you have no business correcting them. Period. If you do not love them enough to pray for them first, you have no business criticizing them in any way, shape, or form. Even if it is in love, you have no business doing it because you don't care enough to pray. What have I found over the years? Usually if I pray for somebody, God talks to them. God changes them. And I don't have to, and I don't have to step in. There's times when I've had to and, and step in, but you know, pray. Pray for one another. Be edifying. You know, you know, when you see somebody in church, is it, hi, I'm so glad you're here. It was good to see you th this week. You know, we've missed you, whatever it might be. You know, when we see each other out on the street corner, hey, good to see you today. God loves you. Do you understand the power of just saying something as simple as God loves you? Most people do not believe God loves them. The sad thing is I believe that many Christians don't believe that God loves them. And they'll even quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and then they don't believe it. We need to be very careful. We've been memorizing scriptures now for several years. Do we believe the scriptures that we're, mem that we're memorizing? Faithful is he that calls you who will also do it. Do you understand the power of that verse that we're working on this month? God is faithful. If he calls you to do something, he will give you the strength to do it. We need to be able to understand to put our trust in God. I am very curious sometimes when people tell me that they trust that God is going to give them an eternal home and take care of them for eternity, but won't trust God on this world. Very interesting. You know, and we have this saying in America, God helps those who help, him, help themselves. And many people will swear that that's in the Bible. The only problem is the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. God takes their care of those who cannot take care of themselves. If you want to take care of yourself, God will say, go ahead and try. And I'm going to make sure that nothing works and that you have to trust me how do I know? Because I've tried it. <laughs> I've tried to take care of myself and watch God oppose every decision. We see it all through the scripture. Every time somebody tries to do something on their own, God opposes it and says, now are you ready to listen? Are you ready to do things the way I'm telling you to do them? We need to get rid of our pride and trust in God. Put all of our trust in him. He has a plan, and all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Trust God's plan. Don't trust in your own ways. Trust in God's, and just let him do what it takes. 
Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us learn to trust you. Help us learn to appropriate your words and live them out through your power. Lord, we ask that you will guide and teach. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to, listens to this message, we ask that today they will turn their life over to you. They will recognize they're a sinner that doesn't know you and that they will accept your gift on the cross of paying for our sins and that you will then come into their life and, and work with them and teach them how to live. And we just thank you for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.